And then Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. Luke 14, 1. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. Now, but they all alike began to excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I've just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these who were invited will taste my dinner. The word of the Lord. There we go. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you and we share this space together this morning, I just ask that you would invite us and allow us to set everything down before you, to come and just be grateful that we have been invited to know you, invited to worship you, and invited to celebrate with you. Lord, as we come into this time, May you open our ears to whatever it is that you have for us this morning, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Matt and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary last September, which feels crazy because it seems like it was so long ago. Uh, But even so, I can remember exactly what our wedding was like. Maybe you have the same, the same kind of memories of your wedding if you were married, but we got married in Garden City up north in the state of Utah, right next to Bear Lake in September when all the trees had fall colors all over the place and it was gorgeous. And we rented out this big lodge on the edge of the lake and had people there for the whole weekend. So for two full days, people were just hanging out with one another, getting to know one another, and then we got married on Sunday afternoon, and the reception was just a huge party. 
because by then everyone had spent time together and we knew one another, so there was no awkwardness in eating or drinking or giving toasts or dancing or any of that. And it was like the best weekend of my life. <laughs> but I also remember that prior to the wedding, we had hours and hours worth of conversations about who we were going to invite, right? Because we knew we wanted to keep it small and just have kind of close family and friends there. And the, the lodge and the cabin that we rented would only sleep about 50 people. So that was kind of our max. But we still spent so much time trying to figure out the guest list. You know, do we invite just our immediate family or do we invite some of our extended family? And which of our friends were we closest to? Or you know, what if they had significant others? Do we invite them too? And who was likely to be able to come and, and who do we put in the same rooms, right? Because we have to house everybody. And the worst was wondering who's going to feel left out if they didn't get an invitation to come. <laughs> and there were so many questions that we wrestled with. In the end, we did manage to put together a guest list and almost everyone made it, um, but it was an amazing time and I'm so glad that we did it the way we did it because we had people there to celebrate with us and it was perfect. And since that time, Matt and I have been invited to many other weddings and receptions and graduations and birthdays and Christmas parties and we've realized that for all of them, even these ones that we're not able to make it to, it just feels really good to be invited, right? We wanna be people that other people wanna spend time with. And we wanna be known and loved and we wanna celebrate with people. And being invited means something. It kinda of tells us that we belong, that we're in relationship with folks, that there are people that wanna celebrate their joys and their life with us. And this, this experience of having our wedding and the, the memories of going to all these celebrations with people, this was what I first thought of when I read our passage for this morning, because it's the parable that Jesus gives that's often called the parable of the great banquet, the big party. And we're looking at this text as part of our sermon series on what Jesus believed, right? You may have heard Pastor Chris say this over the last few weeks, but there are most people, at least, that have feelings one way or another about Jesus and about who Jesus is. And folks that call themselves Christians will say that they believe in Jesus, but far fewer of us choose to believe like Jesus, to actually set our minds and our hearts on the things that mattered to him and live in the way that he lived. But to our benefit, Jesus really enjoyed a good party. I mean, he knew that celebrating with other people was a good thing. And so he ate and he danced and he turned water into wine at weddings and he talked and he taught with all sorts of people at various dinners. We are gonna hear more about some of that in Lent. But as it turns out, he had some pretty strong feelings about who should be invited, who belongs. And at this particular dinner where Jesus is telling this parable, he's eating with a group of religious leaders and Pharisees um, at the house of one of the Pharisees in town. And, and one of these religious leaders, after he's heard some of Jesus' teaching, says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And this feast that he's referring to uh, comes from way back 
in the book of Isaiah, there was a promise given by the prophet that someday God would set this grand feast of the best meats and of the finest of wines, and he would throw this party for all people on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and that he would wipe away every tear, and he would take away every disgrace. And so this feast signified the coming of the kingdom of God in a way that any of the Pharisees would have recognized. And so Jesus responds to the man's statement with this story. He says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. <laughs> the first said, I've just bought a field. I have to go see it. Please excuse me. The second said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go try them out now. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> Everything for this banquet, this grand feast was finally ready, but for all these various reasons, none of the guests were going to be able to make it. So the servant then returns to the house, and he tells the master about their responses, and he says the master becomes angry. <laughs> and I think to some extent, that's understandable, right? I mean, we get that sometimes unexpected things come up, People can't make it to things like they had intended. It's not meant to be any sort of slight to the host. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Life happens and, and we can be gracious with people when they aren't able to make it to things. But at the same time, all of these folks have already committed to coming to this banquet. And it was customary at that time for invitations to these sorts of banquets to be sent out well in advance. And so everyone that the servant is now speaking to would have already RSVP'd and said, yes, I'm coming to this. And we kind of get this part. It's like sending an RSVP to a wedding or an event, right? But then after everything's been arranged and prepared and the table is set, all of them decline out of the blue, one after another, it says. Which makes it feel like the banquet wasn't actually very much of a priority in the first place especially because the excuses that they give are terrible. They're terrible. In Jesus' day, these excuses were so unbelievable that they would have absolutely been insulting to the host that heard them. As the first man says that he was supposed to go, or he just purchased a field, and now he has to go look at it, right? But no one purchased a field in those days without examining it and looking at it. He would have known every acre. He would have known where the water was drawn and what the soil was like. He probably would have known the history of the family that owned it before him, before he would even think about purchasing this field. And the same is true for the second man with the oxen. He would have inspected them first. He would have made sure they were healthy and fit to work. He would have made sure that the teams of oxen would pull well together. He would never have spent this kind of money on his business before examining the oxen first. And no one goes and does that at night anyway. <laughs> and the third man just says, well, I just got married, so I can't come. But this was a banquet and not a bachelor party, right? Like, if he knew that the timing of his wedding coincided with this banquet, and presumably he would have known well in advance, he probably should not have agreed to come in the first place. These are not good excuses. So it'd be like us saying, I'm sorry, I can't come to your wedding, I have to clean out my refrigerator. Or like, I can't make it to your Christmas party, I just got a new iPhone. You know, like, it, it, it doesn't 
add up. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> These aren't legitimate excuses. Yes, they knew about the banquet. Yes, they intended to come. At one point, they were probably even excited about it. But now, they're just too busy. They don't have time. And so for whatever reason, legitimate or otherwise, they aren't going to make it. And at this point in the story, it would be understandable if the host just kind of threw up his hands and canceled the whole thing, because no one's going to be there. But that's not the way that this master works. He's throwing a party, and the table is already set. And so he tells his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Gather all of the ones on the streets, he says. These are the ones that are marginalized, the ones that are unseen, the ones that people call unclean. It's their turn to be invited. And no, they do not have to make themselves presentable before they show up. Just bring them in exactly as they are. And this sort of move would have been a huge social risk for the master of the banquet, because this would have invited the ridicule of the original guests, because they could think, oh, now that we're not going, he has to resort to inviting those people, you know, the outcasts and the sinners. What a shame on him. This is what Kenneth Bailey calls an offer of costly grace. The master welcomes people freely, and in doing so, he's taking a risk. Go quickly and invite them in. And so the servant goes. But even then, the house isn't full. So he returns to the master once more, and he tells him, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. So the master says, go out then into the roads and into the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Go gather the ones outside of the city and outside of this particular community and compel them to come in. And we need to keep in mind, I think, that the word compel in this situation does not mean force. That's not what the master is suggesting. In Jesus' day, when you received an unexpected invitation like this, especially from someone who is of a higher social rank than you, it was expected that you would refuse. And so even if you wanted to go to the particular event, this was an invitation that was sort of seen as a polite gesture, you know, but one that you were expected to decline. It was social etiquette. And so in this case, compelling doesn't mean, you know, going to browbeat someone with the invitation or threatening them or shaming them if they don't show up. It just meant demonstrating that the invitation itself was actually genuine. Because if it sounded too good to be true, and in this case it probably would have, this would have meant that the servant's job was to go out into the streets and say, yes, actually, I mean that you are also invited. And it might have even meant walking with them back into the town and into the master's house and showing them their seat at the table, saying, this is for you too. Everyone is invited to the party. And then we get to the last sentence in the passage, which is a little surprising, because it takes a very warning tone. I tell you, not one of those who were invited, originally invited, will get a taste of my banquet. Most of the time, when we read this text, we hear it as the final word that the master speaks to his servant. 
as in, you know, not the man with the field, not the man with the oxen, not the man who just got married, none of them will get a taste of my banquet. But there is a hint and a change in the original Greek that we don't get when we read this in English. Because throughout the parable, as the master of the house has been speaking to his servant, he's been speaking to him in a singular tense, one person talking to one other person. And now all of a sudden when Jesus says, I tell you, it's plural. And so this very likely means that Jesus is no longer just telling a parable. He's now looking directly at those at the table with him and saying, I tell you, all of you, the ones who are invited will not get a taste of my banquet. And so if they didn't understand before, Jesus' implication is clear now. I am the master of the banquet. This is my feast and the table has been set. The kingdom of heaven is here and the Messiah has come. You are the invited guests. Are you ready? Are you ready? And they weren't. Jesus was sitting at their very table, sharing a meal with them, having announced that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and they were not ready. Many, many of the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jesus' day rejected him because of their assumptions and their other commitments that took priority over following Jesus, of recognizing who he was, just like the guests in the story. James Edwards, who's a New Testament scholar and was a professor at Whitworth where I did my undergrad, he wrote in his commentary on this passage, that when all three of the excuses given in the parable are combined, property, occupation, and family, they, combine, or they comprise the essential commitments of life. These commitments also constitute the greatest rival to the kingdom of God. Property, occupation, and family, the essential commitments of life constitute the greatest rival to the kingdom of God. You may remember a few weeks ago when Pastor Chris was teaching on denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus. This is part of what he meant. Because all the Jews in Jesus' time, and particularly those who were there at the table with him, who knew the scriptures, had had advanced invitations to the kingdom of God. They had known it was coming for a long time, for hundreds of years, and they had sent in their RSVPs. They were waiting eagerly for their Messiah. But when he finally showed up, all of these prior commitments, their wealth, their authority, their standing in the community, their families, they took priority over following Jesus and showing up for the party. Their good gifts got in the way of recognizing the best gift. And so this might be a good invitation for us to think about our commitments and our priorities and the things that get in our way when it comes to following Jesus. Which of our otherwise good gifts might still be standing in the way of recognizing the greatest gift and putting our life on the line for that? He's ready, and he's waiting for us to show up at the party. But 
if you are ready to enter his kingdom, if you are ready to live as Jesus lived and come to his banquet and celebrate, be prepared to sit next to people that you may not be comfortable with. The kingdom of God is not just open to us, it's open to everyone. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the master said. These are the ones that the Pharisees criticized Jesus for spending time with in the first place. They said, this man welcomes tax collectors and sinners and eats with them. What company do we keep at our banquets? Who are we uncomfortable with? There's a woman uh, that some of you might have known or may have met at one point. Her name is Pamela Atkinson. Uh, She's a friend of mine and a member of First Presbyterian Church downtown. And she's often called the Mother Teresa of Salt Lake City. Because if you've seen it, the Fourth Street Clinic downtown and Utah's Homeless Trust Fund are both named after her. Um, She grew up in the slums of London and now she does advocacy work for people experiencing homelessness here in Salt Lake. And Presbyterians Today magazine just wrote an article on her for the February issue. Uh, And they highlighted one particular event that she started several years ago when she was serving a meal to her homeless friends downtown and she asked them what they would like for Christmas dinner. And one person said, Pamela, what if we have a steak dinner? And everyone in the room just sort of laughed and it got a little bit awkward and then it settled down and, and then Pamela said, well, why not? And then she said the whole room just cheered immediately. And so then she goes to one of her friends in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who had helped her with some fundraising efforts and things before and she brought this request for an 1,100 person steak dinner. I know. (laughs) And and he says, I guess you probably want like bacon and potatoes too, right? (laughs) But somehow they managed to put on this meal that has now been happening for several years where Pamela and hundreds of other volunteers now put on a full steak dinner for Christmas at St. Vincent's, Vincent's Kitchen downtown with sides and desserts and the whole nine yards every year. And people say that it is the highlight event of their year. And I can't think of a better picture of the great banquet than that. <laughs> the best of meals served to the ones that we often think are the least deserving the rich and the poor sitting together across all sorts of differences and sharing a meal together because of Christ. Go quickly and invite them in. And there's still room at the table. If the original guests of this story were the Jews in good standing in the community and the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame were the ones that were the Jewish outcasts on the city streets, than the ones in the roads and the country lanes. Those were the real outsiders, the lawless Gentiles, right? The people who were unacceptable down to their very identity. They were not usually welcome. But the master sends his servant out beyond the borders of all of the in-groups and says they're invited too. People of different ethnic backgrounds and skin colors and different education levels and socioeconomic statuses, different political ideologies and religious histories. Anyone 
that they would identify as the other, they are welcome too. And notice that the parable ends here. When Jesus finishes the story, the servant hasn't gone out yet. This is going to be the work of the church. This is the reason that you and I are even here in the first place. Because the invitation to the banquet and the news of Christ's coming did go out. It went out into the roads and the country lanes. It crossed national boundaries and religious borders. It came across hundreds of years, and now we are here. <laughs> it's come all the way to us, and guess what? There's still room. There's still room at the table. The gospel by its nature is inviting and compelling because the love of God is endless and there is always room for one more. Always. God has taken this initiative and he has extended this invitation to his kingdom in Christ. This is why Jesus in John's gospel says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. God welcomes everyone into the self-giving love of Christ. The invitation to the party was always for everyone. And God wants nothing more than a full house. It's the best kind of celebration. <laughs> we have to be clear, though, that this invitation can be rejected. The love of God is infinite and it is open, but it does not force itself on anyone. Edwards says, the host excludes no one. It's the invited who refusing the invitation excluded themselves. Their absence at the banquet is contrary to the will of the host and due solely to the fact that they had other and higher priorities. Their finances, businesses, occupations, and families were more important than the invitation to the feast. So Jesus has given us a lot to think about in this parable, not least of which is what are we going to do with our invitation and who else will we share it with? But most importantly, he's assured us that the master of the banquet is generous. The parable begins and ends with him. And just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son that we heard about a few weeks ago, his arms are open and his table is for everyone. The wealthy and the well-educated, the politically correct and incorrect, the old and the young, the hurting and the hopeless, the tired, the outsider, the hungry, the outcast, the seeker and the doubter, it does not matter. You are his child and there is no disqualification. One of my favorite authors, the late Rachel Held Evans once wrote, this isn't a kingdom for the worthy, it's a kingdom for the hungry. And the church is God saying, I'm throwing a banquet and all of these mismatched, messed up people are invited. Here, have some wine. So after we sing our next song, we are going to come and take communion together. This is our remembrance of Christ's last meal with his disciples and the promise of the great banquet still to come when he returns. And I want you to know, more than anything else, 
that you are welcome at this table. This is the feast of God given by Christ and set for you. You belong and you are invited. Let's pray. Gracious God, sometimes your gift is overwhelming. Sometimes we wonder if it could possibly be for us. But it is. Lord, as we worship you this morning and as we reflect and we think about our weeks and our lives, let us be reminded of those things that stand in the way of spending time with you. Let us be invited to make your banquet, your kingdom, and our relationship with you and one another in you a priority. Thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for throwing a party for us. Thank you for telling us that no matter who we are, we belong. And our hearts are held in you. Amen.